live from Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by independent Derek Addis, Democrat Hydea Avzul, Republican Katie Clancy, and Republican Jeff Howe. Our program tonight coming to you from our home base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago, where our toll-free lines are open at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. If you'd like to email me a comment, it's brucedumont at museum.tv. If you want to tweet me a comment, it's at dumo, at D-U-M-O. You can join us on the World Wide Web at beyondthebeltway.com. Or if you miss a show, it's always there. And, of course, you can also watch and listen to us live on Facebook. Beyond the Beltway, Bruce Dumont Facebook page. If you haven't joined us there, it's a way and opportunity uh, to do it tonight. Lots to talk about. Tonight's program a little bit different. Uh, we have a, a, a younger group of guests with us this evening, so we're going to get a little different uh, generational perspective on uh, what's happening in the world of politics. And uh, uh, we're going to begin with, obviously, you know, one of the big stories that's happening on our southern border right now as uh, migrants uh, from Central America uh, have attempted to get into the United States uh, through, through Mexico. And again, there were clashes this afternoon uh, with uh, Mexican federal authorities and again, uh, the U.S. border at San Isidro, which is right outside of uh, San Diego. That border between ca- uh, California and the United States has been shut down by President Trump. Here's what the president had to say about this leading up to it. Migrants at the southern border, let's put it up one more time, we've lost the graphic. So for those listening to us on radio, uh, that means nothing to you. But anyway, the president basically said, we're not going to stand by and let people get into the country. Derek Addis, I want to ask you, you're an independent, but I want to get your reaction to what's happening right now on the border. Is it good or bad? Uh, well, that's not an easy answer. I think the, the easiest answer would come to an agreement that those are humans that are looking for something. Um, and whether or not we're in the best position to provide them with what it is that they're seeking, um, that's something that we're kind of trying to figure out nationally now. Um, I think that along the lines of understanding that our immigration policies are what they are and that open borders are not something that we can continuously have, but we do have to remember that those are humans that are seeking something that we may be able to assist in providing. Jeff Hom, you are a card-carrying Republican, one of them tonight. Uh, what's your reaction to what's happening on the border? I think even the incoming um, Mexican government realizes that this is a problem. President-elect Obrador's team talks about how they have supported this idea of remain in Mexico, where asylum um, applications will be processed while people are held in Mexico. I think that's a perfectly reasonable solution. I agree that these people here are humans and, and that they're trying to get to the greatest country on earth, and I'm sympathetic <coughs> to that. Um, but there still needs to be a process, and there still needs to be a path because you get the behavior you incent. And if we just let every caravan that comes through into, into uh, America with, with no questions asked, we're just going to get more. Also, we welcome uh, Hadia Afsal. Thank you very much for being with us, your first appearance on our broadcast. Thank you for what me. is your take on what's happening at the border? 
Well, these are asylum seekers, and I think shutting down the border and the only port of entry that's available to these migrants um, is goes against our fundamental American principles of being a land of immigrants who welcome people coming to America to seek a better future for themselves and for their families. And so I think by shutting down the border... But legally. Yeah. Asylum legal. is a legal form of immigration, and the asylum seekers are trying to enter at the legal port of entry. And by shutting down the border, you're sending a message that we're no longer adhering to our own immigration laws. Do you see, however, uh, the idea of setting up a processing center in Mexico, run jointly by the United States and Mexico, that that is an administrative answer that may make some common sense given the large number and the influx? That you know, We're not trying to deprive anybody of anything. We're trying to basically administer uh, their processing more efficiently. You I th- buy that? I think the rhetoric offered by the administration versus the actual actions that are occurring right now, tear gas at mothers with children and toddlers, I think it runs that was, counter. That was, those were Mexican Right, but the treatment police. They were, the, they were, they were not U.S. Mm-hmm. The treatment of these people remains the same. If you're going to offer them you know, um, safe haven as they apply for legal asylum, um, you know, tear gas is the best way to start. Katie Clancy, your your response. Um, well, I would start off with saying that weren't we just told by the media in the last couple of weeks before the election that this caravan was a made-up uh, issue um, presented by the Republicans to gin up their base, and uh, I believe Tijuana was declaring a state of emergency. So it was a very real uh, issue for uh, people, whether they're in Tijuana, Mexico, or just over the border in the United States. Do you do you? Do, I want to get everybody's response to my question about whether or not setting up the temporary processing in Mexico to more effectively and efficiently deal with these people. So yeah, is this, is that a good idea or a bad idea, so Jeff? So like I said, this is something – the policy is called remain in Mexico, right? It, that's what it's being called by both the incoming Obrador administration in Mexico as well as by the United States. So that is the name, Remain in Mexico, and that is the exact idea. And honestly, Bruce, when you proposed it uh, you know, a couple months ago, I thought it was kind of a pipe dream. Thank and you. It's, and it's interesting, <laughs> it's interesting to see it gaining traction because, I mean, at, at the end of the day, how do you tell the difference? If you are a border agent, how do you tell the difference between a person with a minor and know that that, that minor is, actually belongs to them or they're going to be exploited in sex trafficking. That yep. process takes time. It's something that should I mean, I, be done. Yeah. How often does that happen? I, I, I that you're like, able yeah. to treat like legal asylum seekers as though they're an active threat. There have been so many rumors and mischaracterizations about this migrant so, caravan. Asylum, asylum is a process, right? I, I mean, it, they, they need to verify that somebody is in, they cannot return to their point of origin. And that happens that is an absolute process. an asylum claim happening at the port of entry, which they're as- attempting right now. Yes, but not everybody who seeks to come to the United States is an asylum case. Many are economic migrants, including most famously that case of the toddler screaming on the, the Time um, magazine cover, oh, this is, you know, they're just looking for a better life. No, the mom kidnapped the kid and said plainly to, to Border Patrol agents that she was just looking for a new job. Yeah, and, and that's not an asylum case. Jerk. Yeah, and, that, and that's I'm sympathetic, no, but that's I, not asylum. I understand, um, but I'm hearing a lot of blanket statements. And the thing is, uh, I do believe that these individuals need to be vetted. And oftentimes, the the records that accompany them, or even the records that are available to them when they try to get them from their home countries, are just not there, or they're not up to snuff to our standards. But the reality is that these people made thousand plus mile trek mm-hmm. to our door 
and just knocked on the door. And on the heels of Thanksgiving, I mean, I think in that, in that sense, it's like at least give them an opportunity to present their case for asylum, if you will. And, and, that's, and so what Bruce is asking in, in, of us is, do we set it up in Mexico? Do we do it here? How do we do it? I, it needs to be done. I, I don't think any four of but us are actually going to be able to answer But that's exactly what Remain in Mexico is about, is hearing them out and, and, and yeah. allowing think, that process to but take I, but place. But I think saying things like, you know, the sex trafficking with the children. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't even bring that up, right? Meaning, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It is a well-documented thing by the but United it's Nations. it's not the majority, right? The it's majority certainly are, not the, the majority. majority. Right, so to invoke that into the discussion, I feel like kind of de- deteriorates the entire discussion. It's a point. It's not the bigger point. Not everybody who comes to knock on our door is an asylum seeker. Not everybody who comes to our door is fits the the UN definition of asylum. Right, and that's what we'll figure out once they at least get their chance to present the case. We've got a pause, 1-800-723-8029. Your reaction when we continue from Chicago. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at BrianSellsTheDesert.com. Bruce back in Chicago. One of the things I want to talk about this evening is uh, looking at the last election. And we have a couple of people here who were involved in local politics in the Illinois area. And you were on the losing end because it was a sort of a disaster in Illinois uh, for the Republican Party. Uh, my question to you, to Katie, is there's been a lot said and written about suburban Republican women, and it was their defection that caused two members of the Illinois delegation uh, to head over to the Democratic column, and that was basically a, a common denominator in, in a lot of suburban districts surrounding major cities all over the United States. Uh, you're a young woman. The question to you is, do you buy that, or is, there a, or is there a different, is it more than just Donald Trump's rhetoric that put you in a tough time on Election Day? Uh, I would agree with that uh, for the most part. Uh, I think the one thing that my group that I work for did try and promote, obviously it wasn't successful this time around, but that um, our local politics have become too nationalized. Um, our state rep candidates, just because of, the letter next to their name were automatically associated with Donald Trump, no matter where he stood on the issues, no matter where they stood on the issues, and what was most important to their district. So I would say the nationalization of our politics and um, the media sensationalism around it kind of hurt um, our local Republican candidates. And then, um, yeah. As That's not going to change in 2020, is it, Jeff? You know, I, I think Illinois was a special case in this election because uh, the name at the top of the ticket, Governor, former Governor Bruce Rauner, uh, was not exactly drawing any enthusiasm. He did a lot to 
alienate his base, uh, as was evidenced in the primary where he narrowly held on against someone with very little name recognition um, back in March. Um, and the combination of the nationalization that Katie mentioned, as well as the complete lack of enthusiasm from um, from the normal conservative base here, I think that was kind of a one-two punch, and I don't expect that to continue in 2020. Hey, it was a it was a good night for Democrats, with the exception of of you know four or five U.S. Senate races. As a Democrat, is it? I mean, every I mentioned this last week. Every office in the state of Illinois. Uh, is held by a Democrat, or will soon statewide. be held by a Democrat, statewide. statewide yeah. Is that good? Is, is that, you're 19 years old, mm-hmm. you're idealistic, you're also a Democrat, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I mean, is, is that good for the body politic to have that much domination of one party? Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, on November 6th, voters clearly voted for who they thought was going to be best for them uh, on issues. I mean, as a former candidate, I was out there knocking doors every single day. I saw candidates up and down the ticket doing the same exact thing, and I think people started to connect, um, not only on national issues, um, but at the local um, thing that matters to them. You know, their own taxes, the pothole in their streets, the quality of their schools, the safety of their kids in those same schools. And I think they voted their conscience and they voted their issue, um, the way they felt on issues. And I think that led to um, more of a cohesive, um, at least statewide majority, of candidates who cared about things that regular Illinois residents cared about. And uh, Derek, uh, you you have described yourself as an independent. You voted for Democrats. I don't know how many Republicans, but you, you're describing yourself as an independent mm-hmm. now. As you look at the party and looking at the future of where the party wants to go, mm-hmm. where where should it go? And can can the party be led at least in Illinois by a Democratic governor who's a multi-billionaire? Yeah, well, I mean, I have my reservations about the establishment as it stands on both sides of the fence. And part of why I would I much rather identify as an independent is because I feel like there is a third, if not fourth, fifth, and sixth uh, thought process of voters uh, in the United States. Um, I would love to one day see another party um, come to fruition uh, so that, you know, the question you just asked me now is not even a question that needs to be asked, right? So. Um, but if you ask, can the Democratic Party be led by a Democratic governor who has the entirety of the state uh, probably in his favor, um, that's yet to be seen. Uh, they often don't work well together, even when they're all on the same side. Um, and so that's, you know. Jeff? I mean, to, to act like that um, Pritzker is going to be this independent voice against the real power boss in Springfield, who is the State House Speaker Mike Madigan, is just absurd. Right. And even if he was, I mean, you think about it when um, when the Pritzkers were picking the the next uh, patriarch to run the family finances, even they didn't pick JB. And so they won't pick the to uh, run their own finances. How how do you think he's going to run the state? I I don't want to turn this show into a a discussion of Illinois politics because we have people listening all over the country. But some people would argue that if you have a multi-billionaire and you've never had one wearing a Democratic label as governor of still in Illinois, maybe you do have someone who can be independent of the speaker. It's just the opposite of what you've said. I mean, I think money in politics is always going to be an issue, especially in Illinois, where we don't have a public financing system to help match, you know, um, grassroots donor contributions. And so I think any candidate with that much money at the top of the ticket is always going to be a problem, no matter if they're Democratic or Republican, because both Rauner and Pritzker had a lot of money on their sides. Um, but I think, again, it comes back down to issues. If people saw, you know, two multimillionaires at the top of the ticket for governor, they voted then based on who they thought would do a better job as governor, regardless of finances. Yeah. I want to switch back to national. 
national politics again, Katie, at this moment with a couple of months left, uh, actually less than two months now, with Republicans having some degree of power in Washington. What could and should the Republicans in the House and Senate be doing right now to at least grab some issue that they can have some movement on before it's all over, before the House members have got to leave? Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of a stretch if Republicans are going to make um, any moves on any sort of big policy issue. We were talking about immigration in the first segment and before the show about um, will Republicans take this opportunity to move immigration, but I don't, get, I don't see what was different the last couple months with Trump presented his immigration plan that included DACA and border wall funding. And I don't see um, any side really looking to push in the last couple months. I would Should think government though, be shut down if the president doesn't get his money for his wall? Should govern? Is that something that shut Republicans down. The politics should do? Of shutdown never work well for the person doing the sh- for the side doing the shutdown. We've seen that with Democrats and Republicans. It's somewhat of a temper tantrum. Yeah. Um, I do think, though, so the that president is not going to get his wall. I, the wall is something that that the Democrats cannot possibly fathom giving up. Right, because they it is can't. a totem. It is something visible that that will be a monument to their capitulation. The problem is there's there's already walls built. I mean, there's already sure. and and I I think like you said, it's a totem. It's this idea that this great wall, if you will, and we know how walls have worked all throughout the history of humanity. So it's it's a political talking now, point. They it's work. A they, but yeah, they, they're they pretty work. effective Are most they? of the time. Well, they all eventually <laughs> have come down. Well, they, right? yes, I mean, but, but that's what but, I'm saying. But and, they and, all work to, to the detriment of those who put it up. Is what I'm saying. Right? I, I but, 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 a, but here's my point. From a political standpoint, I want to just go back to what Jeff said. From a political standpoint, that's that is the promise that the Trumpsters can appreciate. If he doesn't deliver on that. Then and there's no reason. I agree. There's no reason why the Democrats want to give him a victory on that. He, I mean, he was willing to say, "Listen, we're going to we're going to give a pathway to citizenship for the Dreamers. We're going to expand the number of people that we thought we were going to deal with." He was willing to go that, and, and nobody in his in his base thought that was a good idea. He was out there saying it, and the Democrats said no because they wanted the issue Correct. more than anything, and they didn't want to give him that wall. They know giving him that wall is. That's a ticket to re-election. I mean, Democrats have put the wall on the table before in immigration discussions. Yes, and they then have. Trump refused to take that deal because the rest of it was too liberal for them, despite having I mean, increased border control. Like, yeah, but would you agree with me? There. Would you agree with me that at this point, there's nothing in it for the Democrats to give the president a big win? And a big win would be the wall. Yeah, he hasn't so, really made efforts to increase bipartisan um, solutions to this problem, right. despite you know offers from both sides coming in. That's right. And so I think that there's no, like you said, incentive for Democrats to even consider capitulating to a demand for the wall when they'll have the resources to block. And they're not going to do it now because they're going to have control. In, in, yeah. In so exactly. One of the things that I think could have some potential to be passed in this uh, period between the next. Congress being uh, sworn in uh, is uh, the sentencing reform bill that is uh, yes. moving its way through Congress. Um, there's some kerfluffles between uh, Cotton and Lee, I believe, in the Senate. Uh, they were arguing with each other over Twitter about you know what it actually means and that kind of stuff. I think sentencing reform is something that has uh, bipartisan appeal, and it's something that's long overdue. But here, just on that issue, and again, we've spent a lot of time. We, we talked about it for a whole half hour last week. 
Criminal justice reform is one of my pet issues. We've talked about it a lot on this program. It's very, very close. But from a political standpoint now, why would the Democrats provide the votes even for something that they want? They could, they could wait 30 days and they could have a whole different deal. Sure. I mean, you know, they the- just don't they don't want to give they don't want to give the president or Republicans any benefit that they're they're siding with an issue that is that has widespread bipartisan support. But in some in some cases, depending on uh, which house we're talking about and the method in which the, the, the bill would be passed. I mean, the Republicans actually have most of the votes, and it's, it's one— last, last week, we had a guest on this program said that right now there's 88 votes in the United States Senate for, for, for criminal justice reform. Yeah, it just has to get a committee. Bipartisan. Yep. I Chuck mean, Grassley and Dick Durbin, a joint project. That and doesn't seem like a, a Republican versus Democrat thing. That seems like, a, that seems like you know, the dream of a bipartisan um, agreement. But would they do it? You think they would do it? Well, I hope they would do something because, again, we're, we're talking about a lot of the same issues that we've been talking about since I was able to understand what issues were. Right. And one of them is criminal justice reform and when going back to talking about the border, we're talking about immigration reform and things like yeah. that. So I would hope that uh, bipartisanship wins this time in terms of speaking about uh, criminal justice. Okay. Well, we'll see. 1-800-723-8029 from coast to coast and border to border. We've got a youthful panel this evening. Some a little more youthful than others. Uh, I am not one of the youthful ones, but we will continue (laughs) from Chicago shortly. loves vacationing in Florida. So why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton Anna Maria Island Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sip cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe. Catch fresh fish for dinner. Even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us wherever you're driving this evening. If you are driving, coming home for Thanksgiving, be very careful. This is one of the busiest travel days of the year. But again, uh, you're probably stuck in traffic, so hopefully uh, you're stuck in traffic with us. Uh, We have four great guests this evening, and I want to uh, give them an opportunity to introduce themselves and tell you a little bit about their background. Again, it's a a young panel tonight, youth panel, and we begin with Derek Addis. Derek? Uh, yeah, I'm a Iraq War veteran, uh, DePaul MBA candidate, and I'm just kind of on a mission to have the world understand that we all essentially want the same things for each other. I feel like most things are a, are miscommunication. Or, yeah. And how many tours in Iraq? Uh, I did two. What is the one thing about serving in Iraq that the average person listening to this program this evening may not totally understand or appreciate? Um, uh, the... 
I guess a sacrifice, and not just from us. I mean, from the Iraqis themselves, um, from the what we coined, what we called the third country nationals, um, the individuals that would wash our clothes that were from the Philippines or would cook our food that were from Sri Lanka. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a global human sacrifice, um, whether anyone really understands that or not, and I, I hope that they do or will now. As a veteran, are you disturbed that there's so little discussion of our soldiers serving abroad, that there's not much in the news about them anymore? Yeah, I feel like everything is a political football when it's uh, to the benefit of whoever is kicking it. Uh, and that really troubles me, yes. Jeff Holm. Wow, that's uh, something that's tough to follow. Thank you for your service. Uh, um, boat, which I'm sure you already do. That's, it took me a long, sorry to cut you off. It took me a long time to figure out the answer to that. Um, thank you for your service. I think the best way you can thank a veteran is, is to vote, exercise your right, and, and make your, your opinion heard. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, so I'm the uh, <laughs> I'm the Midwest chairman for the Young Republican National Federation, which is the Young Professionals Arm of the GOP. Um, so what we try to do is organize like-minded individuals. Um, I actually used to be the president of the Chicago Young Republicans here uh, from 2014 to 2018. Um, a lot of times being a Republican in Chicago or other similarly blue cities or blue states can make you feel like you're a stranger in a strange land. And uh, so what our group's mission is, is to, to bring people together, to educate people who, um, you know, want to learn about uh, issues, conservative issues, fiscally uh, responsible issues, things like uh, the free market and that kind of stuff, um, and uh, grow the party uh, for the next generation. Is Donald Trump a tough ask it depends. Young professionals There's, in Chicago. There seems to be a dip, right? So um, in people who are probably between 20 and 30, there's either a lack of enthusiasm, but I feel like the university systems have created kind of almost radicalized um, you know, people who are on the right because they're so tired of the censorship, and they kind of almost do it as an act of rebellion. I mean, because you think about it, Democrats like to believe that they're fighting the man, except you look at they control the universities, they control Hollywood. They, you know, most of their um, colleagues are Democrat. Most of their professors are Democrat. Being a Democrat is not fighting the man. You know, being a, a Republican or even a conservative is somewhat iconoclastic, especially in, in cities such as Chicago. Unless, of course, you're a Democrat running into Page County. Uh, Hadia Afsul, uh, welcome. Your first appearance on our program. Tell us Thank a bit you about me. your background. Um, yeah, I'm 19 years old, former candidate for DuPage County Board in District 4. Um, fell short this time, but I think we managed to build a great inspiration, at least, for people, for young people, um, not only in Illinois, but across the country. I had the chance to be featured in um, Teen Vogue, HuffPost, Vice, and I was able to speak about my experiences, just how important it was for young people, no matter their background, to get involved at a local level and start working and speaking out about um, issues that are close to them instead of just party. How did you experience, uh, how did you get young people involved in your campaign? So I'm a current college sophomore at DePaul University. I commute. And so I had um, my friends from DePaul help me. I had students from the University of Chicago come out to the suburbs and help run my campaign. Um, my former high school friends, I, people from the current high school in the area as well, um, they all want to help step up and, you know, canvas, make phone calls, knock doors, uh, whatever they could. And uh, you're a Muslim yep. uh, running in a 
traditionally Republican uh, county, one of the largest counties in the state of Illinois. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how, how did that affect your campaign or the way you campaigned? Um, well, I think it just, um, my faith has taught me patience and also understanding and to realize that I'm not going to know everyone's backstory, who I come into contact with. And so it's my responsibility to just be as um, caring and empathetic as I possibly can. And I think that allowed me to listen to stories of everyone. We knocked on every door we could, regardless of background. We didn't discriminate between you know, Democrats, Republicans, independents. And so I think that allowed me to help listen to everyone and ultimately come up with a better candidate. Katie Clancy, tell us about yourself. Um, well, I'm from the southwest side of Chicago, which isn't necessarily a conservative area to live at all. And then I went to uh, Butler University in Indianapolis, which was great. And I actually had the opportunity there to intern at the Indiana Senate, which was a great experience because I actually um, had experience working with senators who, in Indiana, um, they've been passing balanced budgets every two years. They've had surpluses. And it was really like an eye-opening experience as to how a government should work efficiently compared to here in Illinois, unfortunately. And, again, getting back to a question I asked about the, the, the impression of uh, suburban Republican women and where they went, uh, my question to you is, how would you, how would you stop that? You're, you're a young woman. I would assume that many of your friends are Democrats. They're not all that would Republicans. That accurate, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, and they probably make life a little difficult for you from time to time. But what, what message would you have for those women who voted uh, Democrat this time? Do you think you can get them back? Is it just about Trump and his rhetoric? Or, or what does the president have to do to have an opportunity uh, with them in the future? Um, I I guess I don't want to necessarily point any fingers at one uh, candidate or person such as Donald Trump, but just uh, Republicans' message in general is that we are offering an alternative to, uh, for me, it was what's going on in Illinois, which has been one-party rule for so long. So my uh, advice to either Republican candidates or anyone running for office would be um, Republicans for too long have been surrendering and capitulating our beliefs, which we can make the moral argument that we believe that our system of governing is um, is a moral system because we're told so much from the other side that uh, we're only the party of uh, big corporations and um, for the elites and for the rich when we really have a message, too, that we're trying to bring uh, opportunity to everyone. I said a couple of weeks ago, on the, actually last week on this program, we did a segment on a proposal that I had made on Facebook that uh, was advice to the president from beyond the Beltway that he should think about tapping Nikki Haley to be his running mate in 2020, give another job to the vice president, thank him for a job well done. But from a political standpoint, he needs someone more than Mike Pence to get reelected. And part of dealing with the issue of women and the relationship to the party might be to bring a vice presidential running mate who has very good credentials do you think that adding Nikki Haley as a running mate would be a good idea? Um, I personally am a big fan of Nikki Haley. I She's think great. she has been a great leader on the world stage for us as Americans and what we truly believe and what our values should be as a country. Um, but I hate to give into it might be a good political strategy, but I hate giving into the identity politics of it that in order for Donald Trump to garner women's support that he has to have um, a woman running mate. Um, because that'd be kind of against what we are trying to um, 
Fight against. Fight against. But again, but it's, it's an all fair in politics. Let me ask Hadia. Hadia, you're, you're a Democrat. But I mean, yeah. if Nikki Haley was on the Republican ticket, I'm not suggesting that you would rush to vote for Donald mm-hmm. Trump. But what signal would that send and would anybody buy that signal? I mean, I know I live in the Illinois 6th Congressional District and that flipped from Peter Roscombe, uh, who's a Republican, to John Cass, then a progressive environmental scientist, obviously Democrat. And a lot of the suburban female support was because of the damaging rhetoric um, from the top down in the Republican Party that Peter Roscombe um, really didn't do anything to combat. And I think that... Would 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 you? By the way, would would you say that that, that in that particular race, because this 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 is systemic of of, right, of suburban of, Republicans all over the country, mm-hmm. were people voting against the Trump policy or the Trump the Trump mouth? Uh, I think it was definitely the policies um, that they felt the effects of. Um, you know, we are taxed highly in the sixth district. That's um, a lot of people across the nation feel um, felt the effects of the tax bill, for example. Um, and I don't think that really helped. And um, the um, incumbents um, in Republican districts across the country felt the effects of that at the voting booth on November 6th, regardless of um, gender, I think, of See, voters. This is, I, I want to get a reaction from Derek. One of the, one of the other areas that, that uh, uh, certainly came out in this election, millennials voted uh, to a higher degree than they have in the past. Mm-hmm. Hispanics voted to a higher degree than they did in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, they 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 did ran fairly well in uh, Texas mm-hmm. uh, with uh, uh, with Ted Cruz, but again, in recent polls, it would suggest that Hispanic voters maybe are are much more willing to accept a Donald Trump than, let's say, we would have guessed two years ago when he announced for president. Uh, yeah, well, I'd love to see the figures that you're speaking of. I don't have those. Um, but what I do know is that with the advent of the Internet, it's allowed people to communicate at a level that they've never been able to before. So in terms of the um, the voter numbers, the turnout becoming larger than in previous years, I would definitely attribute it to that and the free flow of communication, uh, information rather. So um, hopefully the uptrend stays on that trajectory, and in the future years, we'll have voter turnout that gets in the upwards of 90%, like we have in other developed nations around the world, so that we can actually get a true representation of the body politic we speak about every day. Okay. 1-800-723-8029. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly from Chicago. headed to Los Angeles? Looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. Just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. At HiltonUniversal.com, they let you be the star in Hollywood. Bruce Dumont, I want to come back to where we began this conversation and uh, and get, get started with you, Katie. Uh, 
the issue that we have on the border, okay? We, we know we have several issues. We have the issue of dreamers. We have the issues of people who have been in this country for a long, long time and have become citizens. And then we have the people that are trying to get in through asylum or sneaking into the country. And, and, and that's where uh, – and then there's people that are, that are living in the country illegally. The president initially said that he was going to focus on those that were – if you were living here and you were not breaking any laws, he wasn't going to worry much about you. He was going to focus on other things. Now that he's been president for two years, do you think it's clear to you his priority in dealing with those who are here illegally? Is it clear to you what's the biggest problem? Um. I mean, I think what this all stems from is the problem that we are seeing at the border right now yeah. because the problem continues to fester and fester and um, might be an unpopular opinion amongst Republicans, but it's probably their fault, too, um, when it comes to the Republican-Democrat um, arguments about immigration is that maybe these politicians want to keep it a constant issue or not, and not actually looking to solve the problem because of whatever their uh, leanings may be, so they keep having the problems they could keep running on it do you agree with that does everybody agree with that yeah it's that political football i spoke about earlier it's it's just or the can that you kick down the road right i would i would agree partially i would i would agree that the democrats have no interest in solving it right because you look at the proposal that that president the president put forward earlier the the republicans um i i disagree on that one right because you look at the proposal that was put for earlier in the year i mean it was what more than a million um, people would be granted permanent citizenship, uh, the so-called dreamers, right, which was a higher target than anybody had even expected, and the Democrats wouldn't even meet him halfway. Yeah, I was talking and, and about the, the speaker, decades and decades and the speaker of, of the, no the Speaker reform. of the House never moved the debate in the House. In other words, the fact that it didn't happen, I mean, if, if you have the Senate and you have the House and you have the presidency and the bully pulpit of it, it seemed to me that you had too many Republicans in the Republican caucus that didn't want this thing solved. I mean, you, you had the Speaker of the House. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't like uh, E-Verify. Well, if, if you're not for E-Verify, I don't know how you can have a serious discussion. I don't know. I think the speaker e- was e- against it because the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is against. You e- verify isn't. That's why forty Republicans. I think part of the reasons why they didn't want to run again because uh, they didn't like the part, the direction that Donald Trump was taking of the party. E- verify is like many regulations where it's very easy for very large corporations to uh, contend with them, and the the um, most of the pain is felt by small businesses, and it is an undue burden on small businesses, and I believe that's why it is a non-starter. But don't you think there's any responsibility of any employer to know whether or not their employees are certainly, citizens of the country? Certainly, and there's many ways to do that without using an expensive system like E-Verify. And maybe E-Verify's changed since what, the what, last what's, time. What's an easy way of doing it, and why have the Republicans never come up with the idea? I mean, I, so the thing about E-Verify is that it's – the last time I looked at it, it's, it's expensive to – use and to, to do into compliance and so for small businesses it's but when it's a you part. but when you have the leadership of the, of of three of the presidency and the house and the senate when you have that you have a responsibility to come up with some new ideas to solve a problem sure i think that's one of the reasons why the republicans lost they had all the marbles you know they talked about they they talked a good game for all the years that they were outside you give them all the power and they didn't know what to do with it 
And I think we're going to say the same thing on the Democratic side. I mean, if, if, if the Dreamers was such a big issue, why didn't Barack Obama deal with that issue when, he had, when, he, yeah. when he had control? Yeah, no, it's, no. it's all this BS that goes out there. Pe- people, you know, say, well, I, you know, I don't have it. They, they, they blame, they're more interested in blaming someone than, than coming up with a resolution. I think that's why we see a new type of representative elected now, people who are willing to act and not just talk anymore. We see a new class of people who are represented based on issues, who are coming from the communities they serve and aren't career politicians anymore uh, from both sides. We see freshman um, congresspeople elect who are coming in campaigning strongly on pure policy, and who aren't interested Nancy in rhetoric. And Nancy Pelosi is going to be the next Speaker of the House, who's 79. Right? So the it's issue is the, all the cha- yeah. Okay, the speakership problem is a wholly different issue unrelated to immigration, and the challenge is coming to her from the right of the party, not the left. So I don't understand right. how the right speaker- of the, the Democrat party? party? Yeah. So, like, give me, like, an example. The centrist Blue Dog Caucus. Like, what... Hmm. So how does this relate to the immigration debate at all? Because Nancy Pelosi has been for a bipartisan immigration deal, and... The ones that Republicans have left on the table over and over again. Nancy but Pelosi again, the was also the speaker in 2008 when they had right. full control of all, yeah. um, both right. chambers yeah, and the presidency. So does that excuse the Republican action on No, it this doesn't. Issue? I mean, the Republicans. No, it, but, yeah. but I guess the point I'm saying is that for the, the picture of the dreamers for the last year and a half, has been these people that came, to, you know, their parents brought them here, uh, they're here, they're great citizens. All, all the media stories are about a positive thing that a dreamer is doing. You never hear a story about a dreamer that's done anything wrong. They don't even, they're not even litter bugs. I mean, that's the image that's being created. Because they wouldn't all be I'm saying otherwise. is, if, 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 if all of that was true, and I don't doubt any of it, I, I, I would support dreamer, and I would support a, a passage uh, for citizenship. But the point is, don't tell me that when you have the political power, all these 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 uh, you know sob sister stories we see in the media somehow aren't important because the Democrats never thought they were important. I mean, the Democrats were doing their best to pass a path to citizenship for these dreamers because they feel as though these individual stories are important. That's why Nancy Pelosi filibustered for hours. But doing, but doing, your, hours. doing your best and getting it done are two separate things. You well, know, she the wasn't. The they were in power that, at the time. The best thing to do for your for a constituency is to fight a fight for them and win it. Bruce, I the think second best thing is to fight a fight and just come close and lose. I, I will agree with the analogy of the football because the Republicans on immigration have been loosey with the football every time this has come up. If you look at back at the amnesty that was granted under Reagan, we were promised amnesty in, in, uh, in exchange for uh, stricter uh, enforcement. We gave amnesty, stricter enforcement never showed up. When we come back, we have another full hour of discussion. 1-800-723-MARTY in Rockwell, Tennessee is going to stand by. He's going to give us the voice of the volunteer state. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly from Chicago. the beaten track far enough, you'll find an America teeming with the unusual, the odd, the downright strange. I'm Will Klinger, and I'm your guide on a package tour we like to call Wild Travels. Join us on our weekly road trip to see America's most offbeat and unusual attractions. Wild Travels, 
Available on your local PBS station. Or it darn well should be. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live. The experience. For the first time ever, get an inside look at the making of SNL. Critics nationwide are raving over 500 artifacts direct from the show. Be a part of Wayne's World, Weekend Update, and so much more. Experience all it takes to put the show together. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications at 360 North State Street in Chicago. For tickets, visit museum.tv. Everyone loves vacationing in Florida, so why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton Anna Maria Island Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sit cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe, catch fresh fish for dinner, even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com. Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. Just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. At HiltonUniversal.com, they let you be the star in Hollywood. Roostermont back in Chicago. Let's go to a phone call. Let's go to Marty listening to us in Rockwell, Tennessee on WNOX. Go ahead, Marty. Are you there? Marty, are you there? Going once, going twice. Marty is lost in the ether. Anyway, well, thanks very much. Marty will... Uh, we have any calls? 1-800-723-8289. We've got some uh, young folks with us tonight. And I, I, don't want, I didn't say youngsters. We have some young folks with us tonight. And I want to get their reaction about the future of the country. I mean, 50 years from now, uh, you are all likely, Lord willing, to be here. And you could be invited back in 50 years to have a conversation. <laughs> what do you want the country to be like, Hadia? Um, I want there to be higher voter turnout. I want there to be less barriers to voting for everyone. Um, I want voting to be more streamlined as well because, um, as you were mentioning, as Derek was mentioning, uh, voting is one of the best things you can do for your country um, to make sure we have a better representative democracy. And How I've, simple should we make it? 
I mean, it's there are a lot of barriers to it right now, and I think voters what, elaborate what are, what are on they? that. What yeah, are making what sure barriers are making sure we expand vote by mail programs, for example. In Oregon, we have high turnout rates because of a vote by mail system instituted in that state. Um, making sure we strike down restrictive voter ID laws, for example. Um, making sure such as such as you know making sure people have to have multiple forms of ID in order to vote and register. Um, implementing same day registration as we have in Illinois across the country. Um, because that streamlined the process um, for many people who are voting that same day. Making sure that we open more polling places in colleges for students who can't um, necessarily make it home, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, making sure we make it easier for absentee, voter, absentee voters to get their ballots. Um, there are a lot of college students who wanted to vote this election, this term, and couldn't because there was no online registration for places like Texas. Um, and in Florida, it was very difficult. Um, making, making people give up. Um, is shouldn't be the goal. I want to get reaction from our republic. Let's, let's stick with this issue. Uh, Katie, what do you think of some of these ideas? Yeah. Um, I mean, the you, Democrats talk about this a lot. How, how big a deal is it for you? Yeah, I, I mean, she mentioned other, other states that I won't pretend to be an expert on, but in Illinois, for example, you could they start early voting, like almost a month before actual mm-hmm. voting. They have it on Saturday and Sundays at in Cook County. You could essentially vote at... Um, any polling place within you the county. You can vote 20 feet from where I'm doing this yeah, program exactly. right now. Yeah, exactly. Downtown, if you work in downtown Chicago. And, yeah. Right. Um, so, and then there's absentee ballots. There, I, I don't know how you can make it easier. In Illinois, you could just show up. Sure. You have to verify the signature, but that's about it. Yeah, no, and I, I'm with you. You have to yeah. trust that your election judges are actually paying attention and not just, mm-hmm. oh, like, yeah, no, uh, fully, uh, personal responsibility. So I'm with you on, you know, if it's available. Yeah. Um, but I would like to see a national voting holiday. I really don't see any reason why the greatest nation in the world doesn't have this. Um, I understand, you know, we talk about small business and things like that, maybe affected by, you know, the employees having to go out for an hour or fe- so. Do you want to see elections federalized, or do you want them to be 50 separate states <laughs> that, that make you, their laws? Yeah, no, I, I think a good start would be because I don't want to dismantle something that we don't know how it operates given new parameters. Right. So let's try to just start with a national voting holiday that the states agree to recognize. We'll see how that works. Uh, and if it works, we leave it as it is. And if it doesn't, then we figure but, out a way but, to federally but, but, elect but our if you had a national holiday mm-hmm. for voting, do you also believe there should be these uh, opportunities for uh, early voting and voting by absentee ballot? I mean, uh, you're not eliminating them, are you? No, I, I would say no. I mean, the, the, whole, the entire idea of this is for, to give people the opportunity to vote, to vote right? So I, I, I just find it interesting because for the last two and a half years, we've been told how um, we need to safeguard our electoral process more because the Russians, because the Chinese, because the Saudis, you know, all this kind of stuff. And yet many of these proposals make it harder to verify that the person who is actually casting a vote is allowed to be casting a vote. Not necessarily. I've yeah, been an election judge for multiple times, and it's been very easy to verify every single person who comes in to our precinct and votes. I think these measures will only make it easier. How do you we verify We have people that? on file, and standard registration allows them to do the same thing. They do have ID with them. Okay, so but this is the a most form of address Im- as well as also necessary. Okay, so, so that's two, wait, wait, that's two forms of ID right there. But you know wait, what? Wait, we so also extend the photo ID to student license, uh, to driver's licenses, student IDs, make it easier for every person to have it. It's not just a driver's ID or state ID. Isn't wait, but, but, but I want to get to 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 where fraud may be coming in. 
We have issues of convenience County. and we have fraud. Yeah. I don't think that's is, a very good have, thread to go down because that in, that allows a lot of conspiracies to start forming. There's no conspiracies. Brad, I mean, Brenda Snipes what's wrong, uh, has Adele, been. What, what, what is wrong? What is wrong? She's already with, resigned. When you walk in, when you walk in to vote in any state, I, I'm not suggesting federalized elections, but I'm I'm calling for consistent laws in 50 states. That when you go in. You give a photo ID. A government-issued photo ID. A government-issued. What's wrong with a government-issued photo ID? Not everyone has the access to resources to such as such, tell, such tell as. me, tell me who does not have access to it. A lot of young people don't drive. They don't. They can't get a driver's license. They have their college ID, for example, and that works in Illinois. I've never. If, if you get three teenagers together, they're taking pictures of themselves. I'm, I'm talking about the ability of a teenager mm-hmm. or a homeless person right. to go into some facility, whether it's the Secretary of State, decide, I'm homeless, take my picture, you give them a card, and if they want to vote, they can vote. Bruce, this is why the election law instituted in South Carolina under Governor Nikki Haley is a model for the country, because they will give you a state ID for free. If you cannot uh, physically get to a location, uh, I, I believe – I'm not sure they're called DMVs down there, but whatever they're called, um, where they actually issue uh, the IDs, they will pick you up. There is a toll-free number that you can call to get picked up. So they take out every single monetary barrier to that, but they also expect you, when you show up to the polls, to have a government-issued ID because all of the barriers to getting That's one have been removed. ID. That's an issue. That's an initiative the South Carolina government took upon themselves to issue. Not everyone already has that. So that's a huge undertaking for any state government to embark upon. Are you suggesting that every state government starts issuing those same IDs now? I'm saying that these are state IDs that are issued, for example, Illinois. When I got my driver's license, I got both a state ID and a driver's license. Mm-hmm. My driver's license allows me to drive. My state ID is still a government issued ID. I mean, we have state IDs, and if it's the first time you get one, if you're under a certain age or over a certain age, it is free. That's it's the, literally to free. To me, that's the, that's the logical step to determine whether someone is who they say they are and whether they're, they're, a, they're a legitimate voter or they're a fraudulent voter. So would that, a fraudulent voter shouldn't be allowed to vote. Yeah, so with, would, uh, would you want it to be where when you get your driver's license, you're automatically enrolled to vote as well? Well, you, I mean, you get your driver's license at 16, and you can't vote until 18. Well, so, when you're 18. So, you know I, mean? yeah. I think um, there's a lot of problems with automatic enrollment. I believe it, it, it solves an ideal, Can, but is usually poorly me, implemented. What, is, what would you say the biggest problem of automatic enrollment for over 18 would be? People moving. Right. So if you if you, uh, you know, where like their where district, did, where they where they should be voting. Well, it's yeah, certainly for state and local where you mat, where you actually live matters. Right. Because you could move a block and be in somebody else's district. So that we could fix even, that. Even just out of state tied together. Right. Yeah. So if somebody moves, where's the data coming from that that creates automatic enrollment is the question. Right. This is a data question. Yeah. And that has not been solved. Right. And and especially in a city like Chicago, in a state like Cook County. Well, with all the voting irregularities. I got you. Yeah, I hope, I get it. now that we have a young panel here tonight that could be back in 50 years, as an old guy, I would hope that this generation can make voting easier and simpler so we're not, yeah. so people who can vote, vote. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Back shortly. Yes. For the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California. A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining. If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look. 
an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. Chris Dumont back in Chicago. Let's go to El Paso, Texas. Dave is listening to us. Dave, how are things at the border down there? Have you been out looking around? Things are things continue to be safe down here. Um, they're safe in El Paso. Good. They're safe in El Paso. Good. Good panel this evening. I should have a couple of questions. Sure. Um, for those who propose a national voting holiday, what makes you think that folks who will not vote on a Saturday or Sunday during the early voting period will vote on the national holiday? i.e., will they be required to show proof that they voted, or will they be penalized if they take the day off and don't vote? Yeah, no, I, I don't. First question. Yeah, no, I don't. Uh, uh, thanks for calling in, Dave. Uh, I don't. I don't feel like anyone should be penalized for not exercising their right to vote, even if it is a recognized national holiday. But something that I was alluding to was the idea that the cohesion of a nation uh, is something that is instrumental for the voting process. So for a very long time, everyone has been very apathetic to the voting process. They don't feel like they're represented or it's something they just really don't care for because of the, the partisan nonsense they see on TV. So something like a voting holiday may begin to bring about the type of cohesion that everyone talks about all the time that we need. And so that's kind of where I come you're, from with that assertion. You're in, you're in the Chicago area, right? That's where you reside? Yes. Uh, but I actually grew up in San Antonio and Brownsville, Texas. Okay, so, so, yeah. so are you... So were you? So were you inundated with the text messages, uh, oh, the text messages, et cetera, et cetera, from candidates and from and from other organizations encouraging you to vote? I did not receive any personally this year. Well, well, you I didn't. Will, I will tell you here. I did not. Those who live in the state of Texas were inundated with those. So we, we already know that we should vote. We are remi- we were reminded constantly during the campaign that we should vote. Here's my question, though. How much easier can we make it to vote? Here in Texas, we have two weeks of early voting, and that includes polling stations open, some early voting stations open on Saturdays and Sundays. And yet, and I worked three voting stations. I worked two early voting stations, and I worked my precinct because I'm a precinct judge. I had a number of people who came in, countless people who came in, forgetting that during the polling day, you couldn't go to any voting station. You had to go to your assigned voting station and, and offered excuse after excuse after excuse. They were apologetic that they didn't vote earlier and, and were apologetic that they hadn't taken the time to educate themselves on where they were supposed to go vote on voting yeah, day. Yeah, yeah that, that, that is are an issue aware, that that's an issue that, that that's an issue that well, both parties have 
and that is to better educate the voters. I think, by the way, the idea of a national voting holiday, which you know we brought up this evening, I mean, in, in the wake of a midterm that had over 100 million people voting, I don't think this is the time that you're going to see that change. I think one change that you may see, because it, it seems to me that the idea of early voting is a good idea, that should be universal. I mean, every state should have a one- or two-week early voting Not the month uh, that we have here. Huh? Not the no, month whatever. that we it have here. That's month, a little whatever, excessive. Whatever it is, whatever it is, there should, there's, election there's, month, plenty, election day. there's plenty of time, there's plenty of time to vote. Yes. And the, yes. the big question is, when you go in to vote, you should be a legal voter, and that gets back to, uh, you know, the idea of a, of a photo ID, which I, I think. And, and, and the idea, you know, some states have this. I think Georgia is one that if you haven't voted for in three or four elections, they take you off the ballot. I don't like that idea. But if they want to do it in Georgia, uh, so be it. I mean, I, I want 50 separate voting. I, I want voting to be a local state decision. I don't want that to be mandated by the federal government. I would agree But there's some suggestions that can be made, and that's one. Dave, thanks for your call. We're going to go to Sacramento, California. Edie is listening to us. She has a question. Go ahead, Edie. Hi, Brian. Um, I wanted to find out... Bruce. Bruce, that's okay. I'm sorry, Bruce. (laughs) I know that. (laughs) I wanted to see what the group thinks about the socialistic philosophy that seems to be sweeping California, New York, Texas... Uh, we uh, the Bernie Sanders philosophy of free college education, free medical care, uh, all kinds of benefits that the government is going to pay for. How are we going to pay for all of that? Hadia? Um, well, I think um, thank you first of all for call, um, for calling in. I appreciate your opinion um, and your time. Um, but I think, for example, the idea of health care for all, a Medicare for all system, is built on the premise that we shouldn't overhaul our system. We should build upon and expand what already works for a certain section of our population, which is Medicare. And I think that by, you know, maybe out of, Americans pay the most out of pocket for health care costs than any other developed nation on the face of the earth. And I think that as such a great country, we should be striving to be number one in that field, in the field of health care coverage for all. And right now, that means, you know, building a bipartisan coalition to ensure that we expand health care coverage and lower costs, especially prescription drugs um, and operations and uh, procedures for all Americans. And I think that by slapping a socialist label on it, I think that kind of alienates the idea for many people. Um, 70% of Americans actually support a Medicare for all system when it's framed as, you know, should you be able to go to the doctor and not be... Uh, you know, driven to bankruptcy for it. And I think that's... Medicare is not totally free, my dear. I paid for it when it was deducted from my uh, income or my wages. Yeah. And I pay now for part of it through my Social Security. And I carry a very heavy supplement that pays for my medical care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't... Th- I don't. No one's saying it, it is going to be free. Um, you know, everything has to be paid for. I think the thing is, is that yeah, who's going to pay for it? There is, yeah. there is, there is a high degree. You know, I mean, you said sixty plus percent, seventy percent, seventy percent, seventy percent of Americans believe in the idea that they should get something for free, right? That not and, for free. We're saying that everyone when you should ask be them entitled to if they want Medicare for all, and let them finish. If you would like Medicare for all, and it would require you getting your taxes raised by on you, that number drops down to like thirty percent. 
The right? health out-of-pocket healthcare costs right now I are going to cost Americans agree. way more long-term. Listen, I any completely kind of agree that the system is messed does. up. If you want to see the product of a government-run health system within the United States, look at the Veterans Affairs system. Conservative think no, tanks look at the have VA. themselves have studies the that show that it costs less in the long term. For everyday Americans. Except for the people that die on waiting lists. Except for the waiting lists waiting that lists get hidden for political in many reasons. Countries. They're a problem in this many country. Many countries don't have 320 million people as well. A lot of people well. have nothing to wait for and are dying already. How about free, edu- free college education? I think that if people work hard and maintain a proper GPA and are striving to contribute the best they can to the American economy, they deserve to have some of the, you know, the burdens of college debt that will be saddling them for decades. Isn't that what scholarships are? No. Well, here's the thing. Look, uh, when I was a child, Tupac said, we got money for war, but we can't feed the poor. And that, like, sparked something inside of me to really pay attention to where our government spends its resources. Mm -hmm. And for me, I do support Medicare for all, and I do support um, college tuition uh, paid for, you know, in state universities. And if you're asking where it's going to come from, the money is already there. Uh, and some of the, no, this the is, money is already there. Listen, the money is already there. The money is already there. All I'm saying is out reallocating the resources that we're already sending towards things that are not in our own best interest. Like, even if like, you- like the wars that we have been in, like the war in Afghanistan that we're still a part of, like like things like that, like sending if our troops to the border, out, right, for things that they may not even need to be there for. If and you yet, zeroed and on, out, if I may, one, one if, I may if I may, uh, I understand what the polls say, and people, when you tell, they get sticker shock when they're like, hey, we're going to raise your taxes X amount to pay for all this stuff. Listen, if I end up making $3 million in this world and like 85% of it has to get taxed, I'm still left with a lot of money. But if that means that a lot of other people around me get to have a little bit better life than they would have had at my, at my tax, like, I'm cool with that. Like, what is You can write a check at any time to the government. Yeah. They're not going to turn it away. <laughs> yeah, no, and you're right. And you're right. And, so, and you're right. You actually can send it. Now, let me ask you. Edie, I want to come back because you've asked the question, what do they think of Bernie Sanders? You, you, you named a couple of, of, of his uh, tenants in his program. I'm going to ask them right now. Of the candidates who are out there, the 31-plus candidates, Democrats, that might run, do you want Bernie Sanders to run again? Yes or no? I, I do. Yeah, I do. You do. Do yeah, you want him to run again? No. I think he's too old. Were you a supporter of him in the past? Um, yeah. Okay. But he's too old. <laughs> Who, well, no, but you're not the only one saying that. I mean, yeah. people are saying that all the time. Who, in your view, is the second best or the next best thing for you personally? Oh, gosh. Okay. I, I don't like to make 2020 predictions. Um, but I think that, you know, a progressive candidate who's able to speak to all people, not just Democrats, but Republicans and independents, who feel left out by the current process, that kind of person is very important. The bar is very well, some high. Of those, some of those people who felt left out voted for Donald Trump because mm-hmm. he spoke to them. Yeah, so think- you need some. And by the way, Bernie Sanders spoke to people that felt left out. So who are the people that are left out now and, and who is the personality that's going to go in there with a policy. Yeah, well, I mean, the only reason why... You still want Bernie. The, and the reason is Because he's this. got the brand. No, it's he not the brand. It's because he has the people. It has Enthusiasm. Not, yeah, like, listen, if you, we could take Beto out of Texas, and he could probably mobilize a base as well. But when we talk about substantial things that people want to do and the ability to actually make them happen, I think Bernie Sanders has the best chance of 
actually doing that. Running, if he wants to run as a Democrat, Democrat on that platform again, and they allow him to do so again, um, this time without any Bernie's reservations from the DMC themselves, I think he really has a legitimate chance, even at his age, to take the election. I mean, my favorite anecdote about Bernie Sanders is he was once kicked out of a labor commune in Vermont because he wouldn't work. Uh, they asked him, to, he just sat around and wanted to talk. And that in it of itself is the problem with socialism, is that there's this ideal that, oh yeah, everybody's going to pull their fair share, and that doesn't actually happen in any of the places it has ever been tried to We're be going to ask the question, uh, should someone who's identified as a Democratic Socialist. Do you think the American people would want that choice on Election Day? That's the question. We'll get our guests to respond to it when we come back. Everyone loves vacationing in Florida. So why not experience it as it was meant to be? where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton Anna Maria Island Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sip cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe. Catch fresh fish for dinner. Even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com. No, keep talking. The, the demographics yeah, of the top 1%. We're yeah. talking about the wealth versus income yeah, kind of well, thing right yeah, now. Yeah. The demographics of the top 1% are very interesting because there's a lot of turnover. There's, yeah. there's very few families or, or individuals that end up staying in the top 1%. So Waltons, Rockefellers, these cats, they're not just there, right? Sure, but okay. no, but the, those are examples from when they were using a government to enforce a monopoly mm-hmm. or using other force – Back, you know, before Teddy Roosevelt, Republican, mm-hmm. broke up the trusts, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's the, this idea that there's some Illuminati. I mean, actually, that's, I'm sorry, that's not fair. Um, <laughs> it, it, that, that there's this, this uh, 1% is the same people living yeah. in the same country club yeah, is no. crazy. Yeah, no, I, I don't believe that. I, I'm not saying that. But let's take the top 10% of earners, sure. you know. So I, I don't, and I like to expand upon the whole Bernie Sanders 1% thing because while it's true what he's saying, that narrative, I feel, people, they don't want to hear it, right? So you don't get anywhere. But so when I said something along the lines of if we look at, you know, you said the, they pay 50% of taxes. The, the, the top 1% top pays 1% 50%, pays 50% of taxes, federal taxes, right? Yet, yep. yet they consolidate 90% of the wealth or, you know. I don't think 90 is the number, but I'll agree that it's right? somewhere Right, so that's pretty there. high, right? So it's offset. So, again, you know. Well, but what you're getting at is the difference between income and wealth, right? So wealth, wealth is things like property, things that I'm I own. You. I'm right? with income you. is how much I make every and year. All right? goes, and all and that goes why, on your taxes, why, right? Your this tax. is why well, wealth is not taxed, right? This is why Warren Buffett can be State immensely tax tax, wealthy, right? yeah. wealthy and yet pay nothing in income tax because all of his stuff is structured. Right. To, I, want to get right back, not, yeah. I want to get back to a question I asked before the break. I want to ask this to our independent and our Democrat. Do you, would you like to see a democratic socialist as a line item 
in the 2020 election. In other words, if Bernie Sanders decides to run for re-election or, or, or run for, uh, for election again, should he be allowed in the Democratic primary, Derek? Uh, well, I don't speak for the DNC, but... Oh, you uh, speak for Derek. I speak for Derek. Yeah, no, I, I do. <laughs> well, whatever, whatever that individual, meaning Bernie Sanders, if he does decide to run again and the people around him as a publicly chosen leader, um, if the DNC will have him, then I say yes. Um, but if they won't, then I say he still goes for it on his own. Have we reached a point? This is I want to get the Republicans involved in this. John Kasich was on television today. He, Sherrod Brown was on with him as well. But it was basically Kasich talking about whether or not we've reached the point where a, the possibility of a third party, a third wave of, 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 of looking at elections is a good idea. I want to get everybody's reaction. I want to start with the Democrat, with the Republicans, because there's likely to be a challenger yep. to Donald Trump. So I, I would say it, it might be Kasich, but again, he's also, but he's also looking at the idea of possibly running so the, as an independent. The main difference so is that is the time for an independent candidacy come. The main difference country. between a Madisonian democracy like what we have and a parliamentary democracy like the United Kingdom or many other um, countries have is that they create coalitions after the voting is done, whereas we create coalitions before the voting is done. Right. So the fact that Bernie decides to run as a Democrat last cycle, for example, is 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 an example of him deciding that's the coalition he he. Uh, agrees with Trump deciding that he wants to be a Republican and run as a Republican primary mm-hmm. is an example of that. I mean, there's just far too many structural limitations um, to introduce uh, a parliamentary style into our Madisonian democracy, and I think that it shouldn't change. Katie? I mean, just Kasich in general, as a he did run for president before, and I think he failed because of his um, kind of moderate middle-of-the-road capitulation surrender, and that's why Trump won, because he continued to fight back. Even someone as conservative as Cruz that I originally supported, I voted for him in the primary over Trump because I'm a conservative, and I don't think Trump always toes that line, which is fine. He's his own person. But that's why Donald Trump was ultimately victorious, because he was willing to fight back, unlike politicians like John Kasich. And Kasich was actually probably one of the people that gave rise to Trump the most, because when when there was down to four, it was Trump, Rubio, Cruz, and Kasich. Mm-hmm. Cruz and Rubio would go completely after Trump in the primary, and he, you know, and then Kasich would be like, oh, well... Look at these bickering politicians. I'm not a bickering politician. Mm. My father was a mailman. And, <laughs> and like, you know, just completely. Condescending. Yeah. And it, he, Kasich has a party in his own mind that is not in connection with reality. Is there a, a swatch of, politi- of, of votes out there that would be, maybe they are the suburban never-Trumpers. Maybe they are the, the, the moderate uh, Democrats who are not going to like if the candidate of the Democratic Party, in their view, is too far left. Is there enough voters out there to form a coalition to win anything? Or, or, or are we decades away from that? I mean, I know suburban people who would be willing to vote for a moderate, uh, moderate Republican again. People who have voted, you know, in the past who voted for Kasich in the primary and then for Clinton in the general election because they didn't like Trump's rhetoric even back then before right. he escalated it um, post-election. So I know that there is at least a possibility of a certain subset of the population who still is willing to vote for a moderate Republican. 
um, maybe even some moderate Democrats who may not like uh, a more progressive Democratic candidate. Um, but I'm not here to give election advice to Republicans. No, no, no. <laughs> but, but, but what I'm saying is you, you would like, and I, I think both of you, yeah. you would like the most progressive candidate possible to head the ticket. Is that right? I, I do, yeah. I, I mean, I want someone and who... By the way, I think you're a Democrat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you saying, no, but I'm you know trying what? to think of something you said tonight and, and, and that's independent. independent. No, and you but, know what? And, and along, and because, you know, while you're like, well, how do you pay for all this stuff, right? I, I still want to be fiscally conservative, right? I don't want to okay. overspend. And you want to vote for Bernie Sanders. But, but that's what I'm saying. So I, I think you guys don't really understand where the government throws all this money. For instance, I'll give you a concrete example. Sure. When I was serving, yeah. every year you get your budget, right? And so, like, the supply shop, right, they're like, yo, we got to use all this money or we're not going to get this much money next year. And oh, so they're yeah. like, here's yeah. all this stuff. Absolutely. I'm like, why, are we do, why, why do you need more that money next year? That happens in my company, too. Every, right. corpor- so every, cor- so, every corporation so, does that. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking about the government. So, right, so that's oh, all I'm, I'm saying. About so the bringing that too. idea of, all right, I see all this money everywhere that the government is wasting. Why can we not try at least to reallocate it for okay, people so to go to was, school? Okay, so this was the point I was going to make earlier, right? So if you zeroed out the defense budget, zeroed it out. Well, I don't right? want to zero it out, but, right? but, but like, let's just take it to its logical conclusion, right? Okay. You just zero it out, yeah, and then put a one hundred percent income tax <laughs> on the top one percent mm-hmm. that doesn't do anything about the top two um, budget items, which is Medicare mm-hmm. and Medicaid, mm-hmm. right? I'm sorry, Medicare, Medicaid, and then Social Security numbers one and two, right? It, there's just not enough money to, to have this confiscatory tax regime, and that's not even getting into the point that people can decide to leave. But that is with the, the numbers. Money with but it. that is the numbers that we're, that you have right now, right? So meaning the that's, way that corp, corporations are taxed now and what's actually coming in now, right? So we're talking about changing the way we take money in. Yeah, let's be a tax haven. Let's I be bring, the tax haven for the world. I want to bring, no, this, are, I wanna bring the no, subject absolutely. back for our, for our Democrats. I want to bring the subject back to Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi, should she be reelected? Um, so we had the House for two years in the first, you know, last term. The, Demo- the Democrats controlled the House. And Nancy Pelosi used a lot of political capital um, and a lot of legislative strategy to get the ACA passed, which was huge. A lot of people inside the White House thought we should have totally abandon the plan and go in favor of incremental change instead. And she said, no, we're going to go for it. Whoever gets to drag along, whatever it might have to drop along the sides. And I think that strategy is what we need right now as the Democratic Party going into a fight for the next two years. And that strategy, so as, so as, as a, a Republican, yeah. I would love them to adopt that strategy because it led to 60 House seats being lost so, in that midterm. I mean, so as, so as a 19-year-old, as a 19-year-old, mm-hmm. and you're, what, 35, did you say? 33. 33, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a young 33. Um, when the three leaders in the House are 78, 79, and 78 years old, mm-hmm. how do you feel about whether or not a young person or young people that you're trying to get involved in your party, right. how do you get them in, in, excited about the party? Because a lot, of the, a lot of young people look at the age of someone as to whether or not they think they're competent or not. I mean, personally, as a young person who literally ran for office, I wasn't looking to the age of leadership in the House as an incentive to get involved in politics. I was looking at the issues that affected me and my family and my community at everyday local level. And so I think that, you know, honestly, who's... Who do you have to replace Pelosi? Who is a potential replacement? There's no one who has her skill, her strategy, her experience. And what should the needed. Democratic Party, I'm going to ask this about, what should the Democratic Party and the Republican Party be doing to reach out and build a stronger bench? Because at this moment, I don't think the Democratic bench 
is that strong. I mean, I think there's definitely been an improvement from the last cycle, at least. That's uh, at true. At least from outside packs and outside groups like Run for Something that have been investing in down-ballot races. Um, I think, actually, the Republican Party has a good deep bench. Um, I know college Republicans, at least, are you know well-funded. They have speakers all the time. Um, they have a large network. Uh, and I think the DNC, at least, kind of fallen down on that front, um, at least in connecting to young college students. They're making an effort now, and I think um, the results of the 2018 election have shown just how much better we're getting. And I think 2020 is just going to be um, another chance to prove um, just how much outreach um, we've done. Jeff? Um, I think that it's very telling that a party that styles itself as the party of young people has the, old, has the older of the two, the, the ages you re- read off in the, the top 70s. I think that um, Nancy Pelosi is an old-school machine politician that will brook no disrespect. And this idea that these younger, more enthusiastic members are going to be able to um, effect any kind of change is probably going to get water thrown on it pretty quickly. I mean, actually, you can see examples of it. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez comes in, and she's, first day, she's leading a protest in Nancy Pelosi's office, and we're not backing her for the speaker, and I've got this many people that signed a letter with me. I think it was like 40. Actually, she was not leading a protest against Nancy Pelosi. It was climate change. I'm sorry. It was the climate change, the Green New Deal. In Nancy Pelosi's office. office. In Nancy Pelosi's office. Saying that if Nancy backed it, they would also back her. Alexander Acosta When we come back, when we come back, you But she's knuckled under. Alexandria Acosta-Cortez When we come back, or she's smart. She made the right choice. When we come back, we're going to talk about climate change. Ooh. How important is it to this generation? Thanks, Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City, just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton Los Angeles Universal City at HiltonUniversal.com. They let you be the star in Hollywood. Schumann back in Chicago. A question... uh, Climate uh, change. Last week, uh, it got uh, back on the front burner, although they released it late on Friday. Uh, this is a federal government uh, report. Uh, numerous federal agencies were involved. And uh, the Trump administration is sort of backing away from its own report a little bit. But my question to you is, how important is climate change to your generation? We'll start with you, Derek. I think it's probably one of, if not the most important thing, I mean, if the world no longer exists, then we naturally cease to exist with it. Um, and I understand that people can debate the science for whatever reason. I don't know because science is supposed to be non-debatable. But um, it's getting hotter in some places, and it's getting colder in some places, or unseasonably this or that. And I think the world is talking to us, and we should listen. 
Yeah, so, you know, echoing Derek, I think climate, thank you, um, climate change is one of the most important things, at least for my generation and older ones. Um, And I can speak for myself and for college Republicans. I have friends who are conservatives who are saying that there's a myth that, you know, young conservatives don't care about climate change, they don't believe in it, but that's not true. We all believe that, you know, the climate is changing and it's hurting many people through, you know, uh, increased ferocity in natural disasters. The California wildfires, the increased uh, increased um, impact of winter storms, for example, these are all effects of climate change, and the Trump administration's own um, bureaucracy has confirmed this with the recent report. And so I think by bringing up, uh, you know, arguments that, oh, addressing it's going to hurt the economy, there won't be an economy if we don't address it, you know? Like, this country won't Katie, exist the same way. your response. My whole thing in the whole climate change debate is that weren't we told in like 2000 by Al Gore that the world was going to be ending like or in the 1970s the population bomb I you know global cooling was the thing in the 1970s I just with every conversation I have with people about climate change it's taken to level 11 Mm -hmm. where therefore you cannot have a uh, well-researched, well-educated discussion because it's the world is ending. The world it's right. imminent, Absolutely. and we've been hearing these reports for years that it is imminent. It is imminent. We haven't listened to them. And well, the world is still, the world and is still turning. Well, I, I no, but the report, the report that came out was more than just a warning about the environment. It was a warning about the economy mm-hmm. and the economic devastation. So I mean, the question is, our, the question is, national product. Sorry, Bruce. The, the, the question is not whether. Climate change, climate is changing, right? The question is, what do we do about it? Yes. That is the question, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And it is a Democrat caricature to say that the Republicans mm-hmm. are head in the sand about I didn't whether say that. I, I, I understand a Democrat that. here, I didn't say that. But head in the sand about, you know, that it's a myth or whatever, right? Yeah. The question is, what do we do about it? And is the question, uh, is adaptation <clears throat> better than trying to mess with a model where in the year 2100 we may be – uh, by, by taking this radical change on now, we could save one degree Celsius. It's not radical. It is the only path forward to save Earth as we know it. Yeah, except by for the 2040, fact- we will have a completely different landscape. Okay, if so we don't address it with so a radical given that, proposal now. Given that hydrocarbons, right, oil, coal, natural gas, are some of the most efficient energy sources They're that not. humankind exists. Wind and gas, uh, wind and solar are actually cheaper and more renewable, and we ca- so, we can't even burn all the oil. That we've been drilling. Well, except uh, 10 years ago, I remember being told about peak oil, and now we have too mm. much in, instead of uh, too much that we can't burn. Yeah. And, it de- and the, the measurement here is power density. And what that means is mm-hmm. megawatt hours per square footage. Wind farms take up a ginormous amount of space. You cannot tell me that fracking is more efficient than wind farms. It absolutely is. It is not. I mean, yes, it look, absolutely. And, and it causes huge damage to people in surrounding areas as well. Have Cancer you, rates go up. That's what I was going to say. Like, like honestly, Invi- even learning even deficiencies to, to make, go up. To make the even for Actually, the people that live in those well, communities, you know, for us to have, you know, so I can leave the lights on, I, I would be okay with not having as much light, you know. We've only got a few minutes left. Now, I want to bring it back yeah. to sort of where, where we started the conversation, and I want to ask uh, Hadidas to begin. When I asked you a little while ago, when the Democrats take control in, in January in the House, mm-hmm. did I hear you correctly that you thought that voting rights was issue number one that you think they should address? They've already said that voting rights are number one on their agenda because it can garner bipartisan what are, what support. Are, what are the top three? 
So I if, think it, if that's number one, I, I want to I want to get to oh. our other independent Democrat. Here. <laughs> hey, hey. What, what would be the other issues? You, you mentioned that we, we did a whole segment on it. Mm-hmm. What are the other top three issues that the Democrats want to put and make part of their agenda for the first six months of next year? Oh. I don't know. To be honest, I mean, because they don't even know who's going to be their speaker right now. They're all let's trying say to figure all this out. Let's say it's going to be make a wager. I do not place bets on What are the issues? <laughs> I want to hear from the Democrats. What are yeah. the issues? Yeah. Because so it's because gonna, some it's, of the, yeah. no. Let me ask you this: yeah. Is it going to be impeachment and investigations? No. I I think it should I, it be. I don't know that that's going to be. It's going to be on television. That is going to be the the forefront. But I think behind the scenes, I think it's going to be continually continuing the DACA debate. The, the broader immigration debate um, and looking at the, the programs like finding out what the health care, maybe fixing but would ACA. You, and getting but would you agree that the, the Dreamer debate should not be much of a debate at all? Yes. You're, yeah. <laughs> it shouldn't you're be a debate. Go, you're going to control the House. Yeah, well, you I know you've got I know you've got to get some support in the Senate. It should be bipartisan. And I think you will get some support in the Senate. Yes, I hope so. But I think, yes. that, like, you know, health care and the environment and then voting rights should be number three, uh, top three on the and yet when, agenda. When Americans Say are women's polled, rights or voting rights? Voting rights. And when Americans are polled, they consistently say the economy and jobs are numbers one and two. And how do those three all not affect the others? Well, we have a situation where the Democrats on our guest our guest list tonight, they've offered the issues that they think should be addressed by the Democratic Congress. We'll see what happens. The Republicans, you don't have much time left, and you're thinking the one thing that you're rolling the dice on is maybe it's criminal justice reform. Uh, it isn't going to be a wall. It isn't going to be a wall. There's another election in two years. It isn't going to be another wall. Uh, I mean, it's not going to be a wall. Probably not. Not in the lame duck session. Not in the lame duck session. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thank you to all of our guests for being with us. Uh, nice job for everybody this evening. Uh, t- thanks to Derek and Idea and Katie and Jeff for their assistance and offering their thoughts and opinions on this program. Our thanks to Fritz Goldman and Sam Greenberg and Dan Dorfman for their assistance in the production of this program. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. If you look hard enough, go off the beaten track far enough, you'll find an America teeming with the unusual, the odd, the downright strange. I'm Will Klinger, and I'm your guide on a package tour we like to call Wild Travels. Join us on our weekly road trip to see America's most offbeat and unusual attractions. Wild Travels, available on your local PBS station. Or it darn well should be. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live. The experience. For the first time ever, get an inside look at the making of SNL. Critics nationwide are raving over 500 artifacts direct from the show. Be a part of Wayne's World, Weekend Update, and so much more. Experience all it takes to put the show together. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications at 360 North State Street in Chicago. For tickets, visit museum.tv. Everyone loves vacationing in Florida. So why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. 
Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton Anna Maria Island Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sit cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe. Catch fresh fish for dinner. Even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton Anna Maria Island Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com. Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. Just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton Los Angeles Universal City at HiltonUniversal.com. They let you be the star in Hollywood. <laughs> 